I was living in a devil town. Didn't know it was a devil town. Oh Lord, it really brings me down. Welcome to the Devil's Junkie Podcast. This is Ralph Hampson. As always, I'm here with Chili and Brett Quintine. If you're listening to this, you're probably in a much better mood than uh, than you might have been if you listened to the prognosticators and predictions saying that Texas Tech was going to come into Arizona State. Uh, they were going to throw for a million yards and come out with a win. They did the first thing. They didn't do the second thing. Arizona State gets a 68-55 win in some arena football-like action that sees Kalen Balaj get eight touchdowns, tie an NCAA record. Uh, one of the guys that had that record previously is Brett Smith of Wyoming, but we'll talk about that a little bit later. Uh, I know, Chili, I know you love Wyoming. Um, <laughs> uh, let's let's just jump right into it. Brett, how you doing this week? Doing well. Doing good. Good to get back into the Sun Devil feel and flow of things. Chili? Man, I'm good. I think the Sun Devils are doing a great thing right now. They're setting themselves up, they're setting themselves up real nice to uh, eat at that Pac-12 table. So I'm watching this game from home. Typically be in the press box, but uh, much like the uh, Red Raiders fan base dreams of an undefeated season, my car was stolen uh, last week. So I uh, had, had to watch from home, a little bit of an inconvenience. Uh, but what I was watching was uh, something that I wasn't necessarily expecting, especially from the get-go. ASU comes out, and they come out throwing. Uh, by the end of the first quarter, I mean, their pass-to-run margin was about 2-1, to one, and I, I'm sitting there. You know, I, I'm, I'm just completely frustrated with with uh, some of the decision-making that's going on. You know, you have three early punts in the game. Uh, and then it completely turns around, and they start pounding the rock with Demario Richard, uh, running a wildcat-type formation. And I don't care how you feel about that term. Uh, <laughs> you know, they're, they're running this wildcat formation with Kalen Balazs, and it's resulting in success over and over and over again. They end up putting up almost 70 points on, on Texas Tech, you know, after those three early punts, after kind of the failed passing game, uh, what are your just your overall feelings on on uh, Chip Lindsey, how that game was called, what ASU was able to accomplish? Just what are your thoughts on the game, Brett? I thought they, this is going to sound weird, I thought they played well. It's a scenario where we all knew it was going to be a high-scoring game, and for them to score 68 points, it's a lot more than we thought that they would score. They're the ones who control the game. Yes, it could have been, well, it certainly wasn't going to be a 7 nothing type deal, but they always were on top. There was never a lot of pressure on them. They came out in attack mode, and it was one of those things that whoever scored last was going to win, and for the most part, yeah, ASU, uh, again, can't say it was dominant, but they were in control, which is what I like to see in victories. You know, I thought that the Sun Devils executed everything that they needed to on offense. Um, and, you know, their defense is kind of, you know, what we have expected so far. Because um, we knew they were going to get beat on defense at times. I don't want to say beat in such a negative term, in such a negative connotation. But we knew that we were giving points up. Like, we knew that we weren't going to hold them to 14 or 21. Um, but, man, like, you know, our offense, you know, not only did they keep pace, they set the pace. Right. That's so, right. Good you know, I, I was thrilled. I, I was I was pleased with what I saw from Vegas, since that's where I was. Oh. Shout out to the Delano for taking care of their boy. Oh, wow, you're traveling so, all over the place. Ain't you special, <laughs> <laughs> Manny Wilkins? Let's let's get into this real quick. 
So Manny Wilkins has a pretty good game. I mean, he had he had some pretty obvious shortcomings. I felt in this game, his deep ball isn't what we're used to seeing in ASU practices. You know, going down the right sideline, still having a little bit of trouble getting Cam Smith into the flow, beating people over the top. But he still throws for over 300 yards and ultimately looks great. Says he's never going to hurdle anybody again. Ends up making a cutback run and jumping over somebody's head for a first down. Uh, we have two games worth of, of data uh, on, on Manny Wilkins. He is somebody who is, is going to hit these short routes. Um, he's not afraid to throw the back shoulder to hit people on comebacks. He's not afraid to, to take off running. Uh, he's not necessarily Taylor Kelly. If you if you remember Taylor Kelly and the way that he played as a sophomore, he's definitely much more athletic, a little bit more of a of a risk taker uh, with with his arm as well. But I mean, overall, when you're when you're just looking at, at these two games, what do you think that he can accomplish as a redshirt sophomore and quarterback of this team? I think he can go a long ways. I like what. I'm seeing from the poise, yes, there still is some uh, unpolishedness in him, but I like the fact that he's dual threat. I think that will certainly throw off some Pac-12 teams. The fact that he is starting to really feel this offense and he is going to grow into it even better. So I'm comfortable with Manny Wilkins behind center. You know, I, I, I wrote in the forum a while ago, um, when Bryce Perkins got his uh, unfortunate injury and stuff, um, how I kind of felt about the situation. And I, you know what? I think Wilkins has at least two seasons of quarterback play here before he, you know, um, makes his inevitable attempt to play on Sundays. And I don't waver from that at all. He might try to squeeze out a third season, but I just, I, I'm just not sure if that's what's really um, in the works. So... You know he's good. He's you know he's our starting quarterback for now. Um, you know no bones about it. Like uh, the boy can play. Um, he's he is more of what I think we all wanted last season. Yes. Um, the read nothing against and that sort of nothing stuff, yes. against Berkabici, who is a fantastic quarterback with the skill set that he has. Uh-huh. But this is the skill set that we want to see. This is the skill set that you know Norvell could have maybe helped us get 10 wins if we had this type of quarterback last year. That's interesting. It's definitely interesting to talk about. So let's, let's get to a couple other things before we get to the obvious hero. Um, the Well, maybe not so obvious if you really, really look into it. But we'll talk about the running back group here coming up. Let's, uh, let's bring up, first of all, Cody Cole. Cody Cole makes a couple of big plays uh, in the passing game, but it looks like in, 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 in Chip Lindsey's version of what Arizona State's offense is going to look like. This is a guy whose primary role is going to be uh, somebody who uh, can move the pile or can or can get out on the run and blow up some people in the secondary to, to really get things going in the short passing game and, and in the running game as well. Um, are you at all surprised by that? I think a lot of people with him being the leading returning receiver thought that he was going to pick up where uh, where he left off, but you know the tight end is 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 definitely more of a kind of a power uh, uh-huh. um, position in 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 this offense. Do you think that's a, a role that he can fill? I think it is. I think it's going to be a role that he's going to have to adapt to. I mean, naturally, we wanted to see 
Cole progressed from the receiving yardage and add on to what was a pretty solid season last year. But yeah, with Chip Lindsey, this is a different type of offense. We're seeing the quarterback run a little bit more. We're seeing feature receivers. I mean, from the get-go, we know it's White and Nikhil. So therefore, yeah, Cody Cole is going to have to play more of that blocking type of guy and the shorter passes. So yeah, it's not one that I necessarily expected, but I think it's something that we're going to see. I don't think it's just a two-game uh, absence. And Chili, we saw him actually. I mean, his body looks transformed. He put on a little bit extra weight. And and you think this is something that maybe he knew the whole time that his role was going to transform a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think he absolutely knew, knew that with the the change in uh, that that happened in the coaching staff and some of the new players that were brought in. Um, man, those. those players they they were going tough in the off season and Nikhil you could kind of see that he was ready to um not sit his first year so yeah no I I I absolutely think that you know um he was preparing so defensively we thought we might see Chase Lucas it doesn't necessarily work out that way but Robbie Robinson gets some reps uh you know young kid we, we also see Tyler Wiley uh basically play for a still banged up uh, Lyon Mokiola. And, and what you probably notice in that first half is they exploited Wiley um, mm-hmm. a, a few times on a short screen, on a long pass. Um, it looks like he's still kind of figuring the position out, but uh, you know he, he did make some, some big mistakes. You expect Wiley to still see uh, and, and get quite a few reps um, when Mokiola is is in there and, and ready to play, or do you think his time's possibly up? Um, I like I. My feelings are a little mixed on Wiley, but I, I like him. I like the idea of uh, you know having an athlete um, roam, ro- roaming that part of the defense. Um, Wiley was is a converted uh, defensive back, or he was a skill position player before, and. Now he's kind of uh, floating around as a linebacker. I think, you know, uh, anytime you bring that sort of athletic ability, that sort of speed to that um, area of your defense, I think only good things can happen, especially since he is a smart football player. He's not um, – he, he doesn't – it doesn't seem like he's caught out of position too often. And the times that he kind of has been, his athletic ability and his speed has been able to make up. So you're going to have Mokiola back. You're going to have Salamo Fiso back come the Cal game. Mm-hmm. Uh, That's big. Yeah, and, and so this defense still isn't going to be what you're used to seeing, but depth-wise it could help to have Wiley get the reps that he's getting uh, and to also have a guy like Carlos Mendoza, mm-hmm. uh, who it's very interesting for Arizona State fans who had expected Mendoza to, based solely on his first ever game in a Sun Devils uniform, to be one of the best, you know, pass coverage linebackers uh, we we ever had at the university. He got two interceptions almost in the first half of, right. of, of, of his action uh, before going down with a shoulder injury. Here he is four years later finally getting some playing time. And so uh, the, the depth of the defense is only going to improve uh, as the season goes on. And again, before we get into the offensive skill positions, uh, want to talk about special teams. Zane Gonzalez for the second week in a row does exactly what you need him to do. Uh, but Matt Hawk. Matt Hawk put the Sun Devils in a position where over and over and over again, Texas Tech was playing with the goal line to their backs. It works out uh, in the form of a safety Uh once. Uh, Another time they are able to drive 90 yards because that is a potent offense. Uh, But, I mean, when you have your special teams doing 
everything you need it to. They still haven't broken a return or anything yet. We have your special teams doing everything that you need it to. I mean, is what do you think? Is that worth a one or two extra wins in a season? It is. I mean, you're flipping the field, and again, yes, the Sun Devils put up 68 points, but when you can pin your opponent, especially an opponent of Texas Tech's caliber, deep in your end zone, let alone the one-yard line, a couple of times, yeah, over the course of 12 games... That might get you an extra win, maybe even two, because when you mix in the uphill battle that you put your opponent in and consistently you're in plus territory, because here's the thing, even if they get a first down or a couple of first downs and you force them to punt, you're probably getting the ball at your own 35 or 40. And it's nice to have 60 yards in front of you as opposed to 80 yards on a consistent basis. So absolutely, I think it's worth a couple of wins if you can have a nine-plus type of special teams unit. Especially when you have that Inferno behind you, Chili. Yeah, you know, um, the, the double Inferno, I've been talking to a lot of uh, the kids about it, a lot of the recruits and um, a, lot, a few of the players and stuff. And it is a, it does provide um, a certain home field advantage from what I'm hearing. And it is something exciting for all the players that are out there on the field. I wasn't sure how much of an impact that it was going to have, um, even dating back to the podcast last year. Like, it, it, it's cool, you know, and it, filled up, it looks cool on television. Um, I know there's only a few colleges out there that kind of employ something like that, but, you know, here in Tempe, like, you know, the, the kids are embracing it, and, you know, and not just the kids in the stands, but the, the kids on the field, like, they're embracing it, and, you know, it, does, it, it helps out, even uh, for the special teams. Um, Kicking both ways and stuff like that. You know, I think it's cool. And there's been some controversy just because people's seats got displaced, not only for the construction, but also for the for the double inferno. Uh, but, you know, they're really who show up. Uh-huh. You know, they, for the most part, they do a pretty good job, at least in the early parts of games, filling up those sections. And so, you know, sure, they're probably paying around 99 bucks for the entire season. And a lot of people are paying a lot more money to come and see those games. But if you have, you know, the student section filling up and the rest of the sections not filling up, uh, it, it almost makes sense for your priority. Uh, when your money comes from television and not necessarily from season ticket holders anymore, True. it almost makes sense to reward the students for doing it. And, and the right. students were sitting on the east side up in the upper deck for a really long time. And they wouldn't fill it out of that upper deck, but, you know, but they, now they're they, closer, they, yeah, they, they, they would still show up. And so uh, I, I think it's uh, personally I think it's good uh, to see to see the students out there. I know it's mixed feelings on that, but I feel like it definitely played an, uh, a, a little bit of a role um, on on Saturday. So um, I, I have a quick question for you. You know, Todd Graham gets criticized for a lot of things. Some of them are worthwhile criticisms. Some not necessarily. You know, we have the tired old you know he's going to leave ASU at any time thing, but he's in his fifth year and. Pitts had two coaches since that whole thing went down. Um, You know, he gets criticized for the Britney Spears mic. He doesn't wear that anymore. Uh, He gets criticized for his use of timeouts. I think that's possibly warranted sometimes and not necessarily all the time. He he takes a little bit of criticism for um, his uh, kind of piousness in off-the-field situations, but then in turn getting really chewing kids out. On the field, there are some people who really appreciate that, and there's some people who who um, maybe have mixed feelings about it. And then there are things I feel like Todd Graham 
gets credit for, uh, deservedly so, which is the transformation of recruiting at Arizona State, I think is definitely something he should get credit for. Uh, and then there's one that kind of falls in between. People don't really like it when he switches people positions all over the field. Uh, but sometimes it can work out in your favor. And on Saturday, we see two interceptions from Gump Hayes. So are we ready to give Todd Graham credit for the Gump Hayes move, or is it still wait and see? Um, flipping positions has been something that's been very, very old school, and it was very, very popular with the uh, championship Miami teams. Um, my dad used to tell me that Jimmy, John- Jimmy Johnson coached uh, University of Miami, he did right? Coach and he would turn uh, defensive backs into linebackers, linebackers into defensive ends, and right. You, you, yeah, walk it's them up not, and, it's, um, yeah, it's definitely not a put far wide receivers trade. to yeah. defense to put better hands and speed on the field. So, um, you know, I feel like uh, it's a little nostalgic and throwback. And you know, Todd Graham is that kind of guy, like, he is kind of throwback. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, Todd Graham is, I'm gonna use the term, he's a true football coach in every sense of the word, meaning. He knows what he's doing. He's taken criticism, as you mentioned, Ralph. As far as the flipping positions, yeah, that is, uh, it may not be as common as it once was, but in your bigger program, especially in your Power Five conferences, it still does happen, and you have to make use of the athlete's best talents to get them on the field. Is it not as popular as it once was, or is it just more popular nowadays because everybody has social media, so everybody has a voice? I just I don't think it's done as much as it once was. Primarily because, and we could talk about a whole lot of it. Just the whole, I want to start right now. This is where I came from. I'm a quarterback. I, kids aren't as open to suggestion. Not only in the football field, but as we all know, in life, as they true, once true, were true. back in the day. So I just think it's not as it's not done as much. And so I mean, with Todd Graham, I mean, you you probably aren't going to have Tyler Wiley ever see in the field if he stayed at receiver. He's True. maybe a little bit too big to be playing cornerback, um, but now we see Because that's him. where he originally flipped to. Yeah, that's where he originally flipped to, and now we actually see him at the spur hybrid safety linebacker position getting reps. Uh, Connor Humphrey is closer to the field than he ever was uh, before when he was on the defensive line. Now he's on the offensive line, you know, and he, he, he'll show up in the two deep every once in a while. Uh, you know, so you have these people who are changing positions and actually seeing the field Gump Hayes goes from from being painted as the possible you know savior and heir to DJ Foster last year to making a, a, enough mistakes, getting his head back together, and now he's a starting cornerback with two interceptions against one of the most prolific passing offenses we've ever seen. And so, you know, I, I just wonder is is that enough evidence to go ahead and say credit to Todd Graham? You know, you know what you're doing, switching positions and doing things like that, or is it still for Sun Devil fans? Uh, a point of annoyance, and that's something we can get into more on the Devil's Digest board. Definitely subscribe because we're, we're going to be getting into that. All right, so let's jump in to uh, the, the receivers and the running backs and this offensive performance. First of all, Nikhil Harry. Good as you thought he'd be, better than you thought he'd be. I mean, he not only did he have like six catches and a touchdown and draw two pass interference calls, you know, they, they were starting to have to – to, to work on locking him down, which opened up some other things. Um, Do you think he'd have this much of an impact two games into his freshman year? I didn't. I mean, yes, you can look at many five-star guys out there. 
you don't football is not basketball where you can step on a court and make an immediate impact consistently so yes I certainly think that Nikhil Harry was going to be good it's not a shock that he's a starter we knew that he was working hard all throughout camp so him being on the opposite side of Tim White certainly not a shock but for him to be an impact player two games in and potentially even deeper yeah he's certainly ahead of what I thought he would be um, I, honestly, I, I thought he'd have an impact, but I thought it would be more Randy Moss rookie year with the Vikings type, where he was going to be the third guy, get to learn under Ellis and Tim, but be the benefactor of an offense that was going to be reopened, revamped. Um, and I thought he was, you know, I thought Tim White was going to, you know, do more damage like underneath and, um, Ellis Jefferson was going to get some opportunities and then, hey. Here's Nikhil Harry, a five-star receiver, the third guy, and he was just in a benefit. But to my surprise, hey, my man is starting. And right, yeah, good. And, and and absolutely. Nikhil's the deal, so, like, you know, I'm, now, I'm impressed. We all know Nikhil Harry. Like, not like his family know him, but we, don't, we know Nikhil. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We know Nikhil. There is no way in hell he knows what he's doing yet. And that's not, I'm not, I'm not right, speaking that's not to have to, though. I'm telling, I'm saying as a freshman, in college, in a complicated offense with with your coach being Jay Norvell, who's going to demand more of you than any coach you've ever had before, there's no way his coaches are even satisfied. You see him whiff on a couple of blocks and things like that. We're all of a sudden we're examining this guy like he has to be perfect on every play. Two games into his freshman season, it it's just not something you necessarily are used to Correct. as someone following Arizona State football. When when you're humble and patient though, like Nikhil is, and you have the demeanor that he has, it's okay, and he doesn't have to know everything right now. We'll be patient with him, so um, just let him keep doing what he's yeah, doing. Yeah, I mean the sky's the limit for him. I mean, two games in, and he's on pace to score a TD. Every yeah. game, <laughs> two yeah. games in, but yeah, I mean, there's the learning curve is going to be amazing for him. I mean, he's 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 doing it. So Tim White's a little banged up, might not play against UTSA, but we did get to see Jalen Harvey come in. Uh, we did get to see Fred Gamage involved yeah. in the offense a little bit more. When we brought up the idea that this was vanilla uh, against against NAU, we didn't know that it was like soy vanilla, fat free, sugar free, you know. We, we didn't realize exactly how vanilla it was because ASU comes out, they're involving more receivers, they got tight ends on wheel routes, and then they break out this wildcat formation mm-hmm. that they're calling the Sparky, and, and, and Balazs gets like six of his eight touchdowns out of this formation. How much did that surprise you? It, it was wild. No pun intended. It was just wild to see. I mean, the package that they had in was just... Uh, you really had to examine it. I mean, you had Ellis Jefferson out there along with uh, Manny Wilkins. And just to see snap after snap, we knew Balazs is tough. But to see him do this seemingly each time he touched the ball was crazy. So I like the fact that they are making use of a lot of these guys' talents. And not so much that, and no, we don't need Manny Wilkins to be a blocker by any type. But they're getting guys on the field. They're getting guys reps in different ways. And also to see Balazs take off on a 75-yard touchdown run, that shows he has more of a skill set, which we knew, than just, all right, I'm two yards away from the goal line. I can take it in. That made his night 
legit. Not that anyone is not legit with eight yeah. TDs. And Fabian Ardaya of Devil's Digest is tweeting out before the game that Christian Hill is working out with the tight ends. And I, re- I read that from home, and I was like, what the hell? Like, Christian Hill, who is a 23-year-old junior, you know, because of the time he spent in the Air Force mm-hmm. before MCC, he's, he's out here in another one of Todd Graham's positions, which is, you know, this is a guy who can make a huge impact on the D-line if you give him a year to learn. And all of a sudden you hear, like, oh, his red shirt's burned, and he might be playing tight end. You know, this massive guy, one of the absolute biggest guys on the team. And instead, it's to be part of this massive package mm-hmm. where they're just out smashing people and allowing Balazs to get to the edge. Um, and, and I mean, it, to me, this formation with Balazs taking handoffs uh, or, or taking direct snaps and Christian Hill out there and Ellis Jefferson out there blocking, I mean, this is Todd Graham's true fingerprint mm-hmm. on the program. Not only as a former high school coach who's willing to try anything to get points on the board, but someone who is after the biggest, baddest guys available. You know, this is a much bigger team than we ever saw under Dennis Erickson, than we sure. ever saw under Dirk Cutter. So, so I mean, Chili, when you see that formation, your boy Ellis Jefferson's in there, you know, on, on six touchdowns, you know, uh, to you, you know what you expected of him last year, and he didn't necessarily come through. But can you call can you call what he's doing now a success? I mean, he's he's a, a main part of essentially the offense uh, in that he's helping you know them get these points on the board. I mean, yeah, he's contributing to touchdowns now in a, in, a, in a very very different way than I thought he ever would. Um, my my only knock on uh, what's going on is I don't ever want to see the imbalance in carries like there was against Texas Tech. 13 and 30 between uh, Balazs and, and, and Richard. But it and hit right. You said you wanted it to be in the in the mid-40s. Or if I remember I, I want to see them carrying 40, but I need to see it a little more evened up. Um, man, it's just 30 carries for anybody. That's some Derrick Henry-type type numbers that I just would not want to see on any young man. That that's a lot of carries. What do you think Demario Richards' uh, reaction would have been if you told him he was going to get thirty carries against Texas Tech, but Kalen Balaj was going to have eight touchdowns? I don't think he would have believed us. <laughs> I, don't, I think he would be like, "Well, what are you guys talking about? You know, I'm going to see the end zone, thirty carries, and we're going to score sixty-eight points." So yeah, it was uh, definitely a weird offense to see. Um, We'll see what that transpires moving forward, how often they use that. Obviously, Texas Tech had a soft defense, and that doesn't take away anything from the Bellage performance. But just overall, they're not going to be knocking at the goal line as often as they did on that Saturday night. So right. we probably won't see that package as often. So Todd Graham always talks about how his whole goal is to get what the defense use what the defense knows about playing defense against them. So they line up in this formation. Bellage is taking direct snaps and trying to get around the edge. Do you think they have anything else up their sleeves as far as this formation goes? Uh, anything to sort of audible into or a pitch or, you know, I think I saw DeMario out there in that formation a couple of times. You know, they do you, could. Yeah, do you, do you think that they're, they're, they're sort of setting up the future with this formation or because it worked so many times, or are they just going to keep doing it until somebody stops it? My guess is they have an alternate play out of that. I mean, right now it's been proven that they can't stop what we saw 
on Saturday night. But the fact that you have a Wilkins out there, you have Ellis Jefferson, guys who know how to handle the ball, an alternate play might be a flip or a pitchback or something to one of those guys, but I don't think that's something that we're going to see regularly. I just think that might be your one gimmick trick play that every college team does per year. And on Bellage's receiving touchdown, we actually did see uh, there we go. Yes. A, a wide receiver reverse flea flicker. Yes, okay. And so, so yeah, uh, this is definitely a much more... No uh, holds barred for Todd Graham. Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we, we've, we've talked about the Texas Tech game. We've talked about what we expect out of these players. UTSA is coming up on Friday. I hate Friday college games. Yep. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it is what it is. What do you expect uh, Arizona State to, to go in and do uh, out in San Antonio on Friday, Chili? Um, I'm expecting big numbers again. Uh I'm expecting uh, I'm expecting ASU to leave that game three and zero. I expect them to, you know, use uh, UTSA as a doormat um, into Pac-12 play. Yeah, I, I don't see them losing. That's for sure. I think this is a game where ASU and Todd Graham can truly see what they have. They know what they have in Wilkins, and he can settle down now. In a sense, it's not his first game like it was NAU. It's not the big Texas Tech game where they've got to score 60-plus. Settle in, call some plays, see what works. This might be where we see the balance or more of a balance with DeMario and Kalen Balazs. I think they can play a normal, if there is such a thing, offense and truly get themselves ready for Pac-12. The box of tricks is open. Is there any point in closing it now? Is there any point in moving back toward a more uh, vanilla offense, or do you just do you, do you do as Todd Graham says, get in the left lane and throw the hammer down and just continue to do some of the things you were doing against Texas Tech? Yes, I'm 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 all with Todd Graham's mentality. I think that that is exactly what the Sun Devils need to do. I don't think they're going to let up the gas, but I don't think we're going to see trickery. I think we're going to. This is a situation where they truly can bully their opponent. We know that there's not as much talent on the roadrunner side of the ball, so I don't think they need to do anything out of the ordinary. I think this is a true tune-up for Pac-12 play. All right, so uh, real quick, you can't choose Kalen Balazs uh, because it, it just wouldn't be fair. Uh, it, it'd be like, you know, picking, picking one-on-one and, and Michael Jordan is out there. You know, obviously the first everyone knows who the first pick's going to be. So... Who is your MVP of not just the game against Texas Tech, but essentially the season so far? I'm going to say Manny Wilkins. I think he's, what he's done is he has, for the most part, silenced his critics. When he was named starting quarterback, all right, hey, well, let's see what Manny can do. We know he got Brady White there. That talk is kind of on the back burner. This is now Manny Wilkins' team, and I think he's done what has been asked of him and more in week one and week two, so I would say he's the guy. I'm going to go with Nikhil Harry. I'm going to go with the freshman who doesn't know what he's quite doing out there yet that Jay Norvell expects a lot out of because since nobody expected so much out of him and um, Wilkins has been able to find himself a nice little target at 6'4", I say little. Um, (laughs) I I think, uh, you know... He's stepped up, and he's really handled um, the atmosphere and um, the big college football um, life very, very well. Who needs to step up? 
Hmm. Let's, uh... The defense. The yeah, the entire I'd defense. probably say, yeah, let's let's see more of a defensive prowess by the Sun Devils. I don't think there's an individual right now, but as a unit, you'd like to see... Uh, yeah, they don't have to throw a shutout on Friday, but... That'd be nice. You, it'll be nice, but you want to see a solid performance. I think if next week this time, if we can say, hey, you know what... They were a B plus or better, whatever that means, and whatever we see on Friday night, I think that means they've stepped up. Uh, it'd be nice to not give up three, four hundred yards passing um, against somebody because I mean you have Davis Webb and Cal coming up the the week after that, sure. who is you know who burned you for Texas Tech in the Holiday Bowl three years ago. Uh, is there anybody else of note this season so far who has surprised you? And I'll throw, I'll let you think, I'll throw one out there. A.J. McCollum came in uh, late because he didn't have his academics right. Um, he came in out of shape, so he didn't necessarily get to do much in spring or in fall. But he still finds a way. And, I mean, if you watched his tape, when his Juco tape, you know, this is a guy they were hoping would come in and replace Nick Kelly right away. Uh, and, and, and you watch his Juco tape, he's out there bullying people. He loves just like to play like a pig in the mud and... and and I think that they were a little bit disappointed in the fact that not only did he not have his academics right, but he came in out of shape. Yet here he is starting in the second game of the season. And I watched, I went back and I watched that game a second time just to watch him every single snap. And 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 there were definitely some things, especially in the in, in the run game when they weren't necessarily uh, in the goal line or inside the twenty, where he he would miss his first assignment or or not necessarily do something right. But overall, you know. I think this is his job for good now, and it's nice for the Sun Devils to have that settled and to be able to move McCray, who's a little bit bigger, out to out to guard. And so for me, um, I, I was most surprised by the AJ McCollum went from the doghouse to to taking over this job that he might be able to hold down for a couple of years. Um, I don't know. I, I would probably go between uh, Wiley and Hayes. Um, you know, Hayes has played big in the secondary for. I mean, man, like, as as much as I as as much as I uh, talk crazy about our defense, like, you know, <laughs> these are two kids that you know are, are kind of doing their thing. Um, Wiley's made the um, transition pretty successfully. I mean, he's not he's not he's not um, stinking it up out there. Um, I, you know, I, right now I'd go with one of those two guys. I'd probably go with Gump Hayes. I mean, the two interceptions was big. Um... The flipping sides of the ball. I, I think he's uh, he belongs now. So yeah, I, I would probably say Gumpays and indeed the defense needs an individual to step up before they rise together as a unit. And who do you think that could possibly be? A guy like Wicker or Fiso when he comes back? Would I say Salamo Fiso? I, I think he's uh, heck. He's one of your leading tacklers from a year ago. So I think he's got to be that guy to really just come in and say, all right, hey. Batting down the hatches, boys. It's conference play time. So let's get into adjusted expectations. Uh, I, I thought ASU would win. I tweeted out 43-38 uh, before the game started. turns out that was closer to what the halftime score was. Uh, but I, I did think ASU would win this game because I thought they would come out and run the ball from the get-go. They didn't necessarily do that. They kind of used a failed passing game to set up the run uh, and then and then absolutely dominated from, from that point on. Um, but I, I've long thought this was going to be an 8-4 and four team. Um, I will say that my expectations of their record has been adjusted 
not necessarily by ASU's play so far, but by some of their potential opponents and 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 penciled in opponents, uh, especially the University of Arizona is not, not what good. I thought no. they would be. No, they're not good. They were they were down. They almost lost to Grambling. They they almost lost to Grambling. They were down twenty one three, and then the, and the uh, their quarterback looked to have a pretty nasty injury, and from that point on, Arizona was able to uh-huh. to come back. They almost lost to Grambling, and 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 you know I th- this was a team that I thought would give Arizona State fits. Absolute fits uh, with with who they've brought in back, especially on the offensive side of the ball. But they just don't look good, and and starting to make me think that I I you know give it a couple more weeks, but this might be a nine win team. So I went from potentially thinking eight and four to to, to starting to consider that this could possibly be uh, a, a nine and three team. And I'm trying not to be too reactionary based on the Texas Tech results. But I've I've long believed that they'd start the season four and zero, and then sort of you know uh, figure things out from there. But I mean, Chili, are you thinking anything differently about this team after watching what they did to Texas Tech? Man, I hate to do this. I hate to do this. So I, I originally said this was an eight win team um, in the boards. I think I, I think that's what I said. Um, Texas Tech was one of the games that I wasn't sure about, um, but now seeing how the season is playing out. I think that you got that we are looking at what might be a ten-win team um, with Manny Wilkins. Um, this Texas Tech game was very, very uh, telling in the sense that honestly, I think Brett would agree with me on this. This is the type of game that we kind of wanted to see from Berkovici. It was three hundred fifty yards, two touchdowns, and zero interceptions. With Berkovici, it kind of seemed like every time he had a big game, he had the one thing that was killing him, whether it was getting sacked in the backfield, chipped interceptions, or just things things weren't always going his way. Um, Man, I think that this team could very possibly uh, win 10 games. Um, I'm looking at the schedule right now. USC looks very winnable. Um, We're we're 2-0 right now. Texas uh, UTSA looks looks winnable. Cal looks winnable. USC looks winnable. Those are three more. Uh, Colorado looks winnable. Washington State looks winnable. That's five. Um, you know, Utah Washington. That's seven. And Arizona. That's eight. That's eight more wins on the rest of the season. I wow. think that this might be a ten-win team. Well, I'm definitely going to up my mark. I believe Ooh. I said they would be six and six initially. I'm going to say 9-3. and three. Let's say for argument's sake right now they're 3-0. and oh. I think they go 6-3 and three in conference play. And they have pleasantly surprised me. And obviously you guys know that I had that game circled on my schedule for a long time, the Texas Tech game. And I mentioned if they were to win that game against what I'm going to say is a decent Pac-12, excuse me, decent Big 12 team, respectable team. Who knows what their end of the year record will be, but... A win there would propel them into a solid plus Pac-12 conference season. A loss, now things are a little bit different. They did win the game, a game that we kind of thought would be high scoring. It's not about how many points they gave up. I think they they looked good on Saturday night, in my opinion. So, yeah, I think this propels them to a very nice conference season, and I think they'll be 9-3 and three at the end of the year. And, yeah, no Foster Farms Bowl. I think 9-3 and three earns them a solid bowl game. Well, uh, I, I know one of my predictions is ruined. I think I said that Milaj would have, like, 10 touchdowns on the year. 
Uh, he almost did that in one game. So right. uh, you're starting to see him get mentioned as a dark horse on the whole Heisman thing. I think anybody who's really mentioned in the first two weeks of college football as a Heisman contender never ends up even being sitting on on the stage. But uh, what do you think a fair expectation is for – but you would like to see his carries up, obviously, you said – uh, Chile, you know, he had eight touchdowns in his first 13 touches, but most of those were one-yard runs. You, you, what do you expect them to to give him more of a workload? You know, 50, 60 yards away from the end zone, and not necessarily. Uh, I mean, do you see them trying to capitalize on this momentum and get him yards as well? Now that there's national attention, you know, it's funny. Um, the last time that I remember ASU having national attention um, on one single player for the Heisman Trophy. Um, it was uh, J.R. Redman, and they tried to flip him to defensive back also so that he could play both offense and defense to kind of build the hype, and it just didn't work out. It works I, in video games. I, 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 think, I think just let it, let it run its course. I don't think, I don't think Graham's going to be a guy that gets caught up in the hype of the Heisman, and I don't think he's going to let his team get caught up in the hype of that either. Um, most of his players seem pretty level-headed, and um, I think... I think we're just going to have to wait and see what happens the rest of the way for Balazs. But I did notice that he did have a second-place vote, which I thought was cool. So he's, like, number eight on ESPN's, like, Heisman race. I think Balazs will definitely get a lot more yards because I don't think they'll consistently be in that position anymore. You figure in this Texas Tech game, basically between the 20s was Demario Richard, once they got inside the 20, and especially inside the 5, it became Balazs' show. I, I just think the ebb and flow of most of the games moving forward, and let's talk really about conference play, I think they'll be at the 40 more often than, let's just say, the 1-yard line all the time. So Demario Richards, Wendell. <laughs> For, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you don't want him to be in that workhorse role with, with Kilmer not getting him in the end zone. So we'll see what they're able to do this week at UTSA. It'd be nice for... Uh, it'd be nice for... Uh, uh, Richard to get in the in, in the painted zone a couple of times mm-hmm. uh, just to just to kind of get get that out of his head. Um, but I tell you what, we're going to go ahead and dedicate this week's podcast to uh, Jashawn Johnson of Texas Tech, who if he had a Heisman vote, you know he'd be casting it for Balaj uh, because Balaj just absolutely wrecked him and <laughs> ruined him uh, all game long. After after Johnson uh, held on to Cody Cole early in the game on a non called pi. I would say ASU took all their frustration out on him. So this is for you, Deshaun. Uh, Hopefully everybody has a good week, and and we'll be talking to you again next week after what we believe, unanimously believe, is a victory over UTSA. Uh, This has been the Devil's Junkie Podcast. I'm Ralph Amson with Chili and Brett Quintine. Have a great week. I was living in a devil town. I didn't know it was a devil town. Oh, Lord, it really brings me down about the devil town.